Well, the Lord be with you this morning. A couple people knew that. I've done that every time I come here. It's an ancient Christian greeting. Uh, you find that with Boaz in the Old Testament and Paul in the New Testament. And it's, the Lord be with you. And then you respond and also with you. So let's try it again. The Lord be with you this morning. Praise the Lord. It's uh, great to be back here uh, this morning. Uh, my name is, uh, is Chris and uh, grew up in this area, uh, served at this church for a few years. And uh, in uh, this time of Sims uh, sabbatical and the Oren's absence, it's great to be here and to bring uh, God's word. And uh, Rebecca and I are up in Markdale, Ontario, and uh, Markdale Baptist Church brings you greetings. Uh, we're right beside Chapman's Ice Cream. And so if you eat Chapman's ice cream, say a prayer uh, for the work of the ministry uh, up in that neck of the woods. But great to be here with you today. We're down in Norfolk County at a conservation area uh, for a few days. I'm doing some writing, and it's wonderful to, uh, to be able to come here. We're looking at just one verse this morning. Uh, it's Psalm 34, verse 8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And let's uh, ask for the Lord's blessing and for the Holy Spirit's help as we come to God's Word this morning. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, and that you are a God whom we can know personally. And Father, we pray that your Spirit would open our eyes uh, to these great realities and grant us the gift of faith that, that we might too uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and count all of these blessings as our own. Lord, may your spirit attend to the preaching of your word this morning. Lord, that my words be found faithful, that as I speak, it would be as you speaking, because I am rightly proclaiming and handling the word of truth. Bless us this morning, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's a, a lovely season, summer is, and I know summer's somewhat drawing to a close, but one of the wonderful things I love about summer, the whole kind of span of it, is that it's the season of fruit. Now, there's a man in our church who doesn't like fruit, and I find that kind of odd, because I think most people like fruit. You might not like all fruits, but there's some type of fruit that you probably like. And uh, the season begins, doesn't it, back in June, uh, and the strawberries come on, uh, and then the raspberries uh, and I'm going to forget something, right? Uh, but then you sometimes get the blueberries, right? And then round about, you know, the end of July, beginning of August, this time of year, uh, we start getting peaches. I have a peach in the pulpit uh, this morning, perhaps the first time a peach has ever come into a pulpit. Uh, but we're going to come back to that. Uh, and then towards the end of the summer, uh, you get into the pear harvest uh, and then the apples, right? And the apples right on in through to the fall. And so, you know, from June until October, really, in the province of Ontario, we are blessed uh, with this great fruit season. But I brought with me uh, a peach. I think this is a, a Niagara peach. And in your head, I want you to, to say, what can I know about this peach as Chris holds this peach before us? Uh, so uh, you would be able to see the color of peach. Uh, you'd be able to see some of its contours. It's not quite round, more like an apple. Uh, if you got a bit closer, you'd be able to see the peach fuzz, right? Uh, if I let you hold it, you would, you, well, it's actually got a bit more weight than you would think, right? Uh, and, and also, if I let you hold it, you, you would know that it's, it's very tender. You can't press too hard on a peach because this one's getting ripe. Otherwise, I'd get juice all over the pulpit, right? Uh, but that's all you could know about this peach, if I just said, 
look at this peach and, and tell me about this peach, right? To be actually able to tell me more about this, what we were talking about up here, whether it's good or not, right? What would you have to do? You'd have to bite into it. You'd have to, to taste it, right? It's only when we have tasted something that we have truly experienced the full breadth of that thing and can testify what it's like. Not just what it looks like, not just what it feels like, not even just what it smells like, but what it tastes like and derive all of the blessings and the nutrients that we would get from eating a peach like that. Well, as we look at our verse this morning, the core idea that I want us to establish is that we cannot simply know about God. We cannot simply, it's just not enough to know facts about God. We actually have to experientially come to know God through faith in Jesus Christ, a personal and a real faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, based upon this verse, we're going to answer this question, how do I become a Christian? Or, what is a Christian? How do I become a Christian? What is a Christian? And this evening, if you come back, uh, it is quite nice that it's air-conditioned here. If you come back this evening, uh, we're going to be exploring uh, some of these themes a little bit more. How do I know that I'm a Christian? How do I know that someone else is a Christian? We're going to be considering matters of assurance. But let's look at this verse very briefly in its context and then uh, picking apart the different words and the things that this verse uh, means and speaks to us. First of all, this psalm uh, as a whole is a, is a wonderful psalm. Uh, there's an elderly lady in our congregation uh, approaching 90 uh, and her father used to read this psalm to her and said, here are words to live by. And there are a lot of uh, very good words here, a lot of famous Christian turns of phrases that we find here. Uh, in this chapter, uh, but it's a psalm of thanksgiving. There are lots of different types of psalms. This one is a psalm uh, of thanksgiving, and it's particularly uh, giving thanks to the Lord for uh, the care that he gives to a believer and what even it means to become a believer. And so there's lots of thanksgiving in this psalm. And so if we have come to be a follower, a believer and follower in the Lord Jesus Christ, then, then we too will sing a song like this. We will sing a, a song of praise because we know the Lord. And as we sing songs of praise, uh, we will testify. That will actually become part of our witness, uh, that people seeing us being here and praising God this morning is part of our witness to testify how great the Lord is. And it's also then an invitation for others to join in that song through faith as well, trusting in the Lord. And so that's the kind of literary context of our verse this morning. But what I want to do is really enter into this verse through a theological context this morning, meaning justification by faith, meaning believing in the gospel. I want us to look and consider the gospel message through this Old Testament verse from Psalm 34, verse 8. And so first we come to this word, taste. And the word taste literally means taste. But here it's being used not in a, in a literal sense, in a, in a figurative sense, in, in an experiential sense. And, and it's, a, it's an imperative, it's a command. The psalmist is urging us to taste just as he has tasted in the Lord. There's this command that Mere knowledge of something, mere knowledge of God is, is not enough uh, to be a Christian. It's not enough uh, to be saved. We must have experienced the Lord. I love the verse in James 
where it says that even the demons believe in God and shudder. Demons aren't saved, are they? They believe in God. They know all the right things. The Bible's accessible to them as well. They know that he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They know that the Bible is the Word of God. They know that Jesus is the Son of God. They, they know all of these facts, all of these things, but they do not believe in God in a saving sense. They do not know him. And there are many people who know about God. There are very few people who know God. Lots of people who know about God. Very few people who know God in a, in a saving sense. And it's not enough to have been born into a Christian family. Uh, it's not enough to have perhaps gone to church your whole life. It's not enough uh, to have relatives who are missionaries or, or pastors or these types of things. It's not enough even to tick the census and say, I am a Christian. Because just because I call myself a cat, I'm a cat. Does that make me a cat? No, we're living in a strange world where people would think that that could be true, but it's ridiculous, it's not. And just because I claim to be a Christian doesn't make me a Christian. And so what is a Christian? Well, a Christian is someone who has tasted. And taste means, literally, it's a synonym of this, is, is they have trusted. Taste, trust. They have trusted in the Lord, or they have displayed faith, similar type of word. And we often, in kind of wider Christian circles, can sometimes think of faith as a noun. I don't know if there are any school teachers here this morning, or if we remember the difference between nouns and verbs, but a lot of people think faith is a noun, that it's something that we possess, or that it's like this mysterious force that you have to access. That's not what faith is. Faith in the Bible is a verb. It's an action. It means you have to actually do something. You're, you're displaying faith. You're doing faith, right? It's not something that you have, right? We have to display faith because faith is an action. And a very famous story to illustrate what faith is, how it's different from belief, is the story of Blondine. Has anybody ever heard of the story of Blondine before? Blondine was a Frenchman, uh, came to Canada, and he was a tightrope walker in the 1800s. And he put up a, a line over Niagara Falls, and he would cross Niagara Falls and back again on this rope. And he became quite famous. He would go across with you know, the, the pole, uh, then he thought that was rather boring, and so he went out and, and set up a little camp stove and cooked bacon and eggs uh, on the tightrope over Niagara Falls. He did all of these crazy things, gained a great following, and one day... A royal party came from England to see Blondine for themselves. And that day he was taking a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls. Right? And, and then he put a sack of potatoes in the wheelbarrow. And he went across Niagara Falls. And he came up to the Duke and to the royal party and said, Do you believe that I could put a man in that wheelbarrow and take them across Niagara Falls? And the Duke said, I do. And so Blondine said to the Duke, Well, hop in. But he wouldn't. And Blondine said, is there anyone here who believes that I could take a man across Niagara Falls in this wheelbarrow? And the, the crowd went silent and the crowd started to go back. Niagara Falls is a scary place. And finally a little old lady came out of the crowd and she put up her hand. 
She got in the wheelbarrow and Blondine took her across Niagara Falls and back again. And that little old lady was Blondine's mother. The only one who would put her life in his hands. The only one who trusted Blondine. See, the others, they, they believed in Blondine. They, they had a good reputation. They believed he could do it. But they weren't willing to put their life into his hand. And so that demonstrates what faith is. Faith is not a noun. It's not good opinion of someone. It's actually trusting the Lord. Giving our lives to the Lord. Asking him to save us from our sins through repentance and faith. And so we need to taste. And when we taste, we are going to see that. Tasting is necessary uh, to arrive at a, at a true knowledge of the Lord. You know, I, uh, in English, it's, um, it's rather a shame uh, that we only have one word for no, and it's no, right? Uh, some of you might be here and speak another language, maybe Dutch, uh, but French is a wonderful language because it has two verbs for the word no, right? There's savoir, if you've maybe studied French at school, savoir, which is a knowledge of facts, okay? I know that that's a pew. I know that that's a piano. I know that it's sunny outside, savoir. Canetra, which means an, a personal knowledge, a, a relational knowledge of someone, okay? So, for example, you might know Pierre Polyev. Maybe you've heard his name, seen him on TV, right? You, you, know, you know who he is, like you know his name, you know what he looks like, right? Well, I know him in that I met him at the airport. We are going through security, and this is when he was running for the Conservative Party leadership, and, and, and there he was. He was in security, and our wives got stuck. They were being searched. And so we're on this side of security. They're on that side of security. So we had five minutes to shoot the breeze and talk about politics. And I said that, you know, we do pray for our local MP, and he thanked us for that. Um, but even still, I know him a bit more than you, maybe, uh, but I don't really know him, right? I talked to him for five minutes, right? I don't know his past, really. I, I don't know what makes him tick. I, I don't know many things about him. But this difference is important to distinguish, that we can know lots about something. We can know about a person. We can know about God in these factual senses, right? In a, in a savoir sense. But to connetra, to, to know a thing or a person or, 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 or God himself, right, is experiential. It's, it's relational. We have to first have believed in the gospel. That's how we know God. Right? And we're going to come back to that. But that's how we know God. We need to, to trust His promises as a Christian. And that's how we continue to know God, right? To get to know Him better. And I love all of those names in the Bible like Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides, God Almighty, right? These types of names. We only know the Lord experientially in that when we trust God's promise in a certain circumstance and, and we exercise faith and then we know that he's almighty when he's rescued us from an impossible situation. Then we know that he's Jehovah Jireh when we were dirt floor poor and he, he rescued us and he brought us this day our daily bread. This is how we come to know the Lord. It's through experience, both Coming to know Him as our Father through faith in Christ and then continuing to get to know Him. And it says, O oh, taste and see that the Lord. The Lord. That's His name. That's God's name. It means I am. It comes from the story of the burning bush. 
that God was and is now and will be forever. The Lord is his name. And when Jesus in the gospel says, I am the bread of life, right? I am the resurrection. He was claiming divinity. He was claiming to be God because this is God's name. And a lot of people, they think kind of like a a buffet at a restaurant where they can just make God out to, to be who they want him to be, right? A little bit of this, I kind of like that. I, I kind of like to fashion a God who looks like that. That's an idol. The Bible says that we fashion idols after our own image or after the desires, sinful desires of our hearts. That's not a God, right? When people make up uh, who God is, we don't have to make up who God is. He has shown us very graciously in his word who he is. He has revealed who he is. And, and so we believe and we come to know who he has revealed himself to be. And he's not kind of like a sloppy puppy dog. Some people make God out to be kind of this uh, distorted form of love, and nor is he an evil and cruel tyrant, as also some people have a perception of God. He is exactly who he said that he is. And very famously, in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, we have one of the famous character descriptions of who the real God is, who the God of the Bible is. It says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So we see that he's both love and truth there, don't we? And we even see it on the back, on the banners, have that very verse there. So we will never forget about that. And Jesus said that if you want to know this God, and I am the way and the truth and life, no one comes to the Father but by me. And if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So if we want to know who God is and have a relationship with him, it's through Jesus all the way. It is through Jesus. And when we trust, when we taste and see, we come to know that the Lord is good. He's beautiful. He's morally pure, holy. He's excellent. He is all of these things. But we cannot know that until we have tasted and that we have seen that the Lord is good. When we do that, we come to have joy. When we do that, we we come to receive all of the benefits of knowing experientially the Lord our God. False religions try to offer this experiential tickle, this esoteric experience, right? That, that if, you, if you do this, that you can experience something of the divine, Eastern religions. Or, or you, you just have to do this and say it this way and you can experience the Lord, kind of Christian mysticism and such things. Everyone is seeking after the Lord. And that's because Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God has put eternity into our hearts. Or as a man in the Middle Ages said, uh, Pascal, God has placed a Christ-shaped hole in our heart. We're trying to fill it with all of these different things, drugs and alcohol and women and so forth and so forth. But we can also try to fill it through these religious experiences. And God is to be experienced, but he is to be experienced upon his own terms. And that is through faith In the gospel. What's the gospel? It's one of those words that Christians often bat around, but what does it mean? 
means good news. Good news that was issued, that was heralded when a king had won a victory. Well, who is this king who's won a victory? It's Jesus. How did he win a victory and over what? He did it through his death on the cross and through his resurrection three days later, defeating sin and death and hell. Consequences of our rebellion against God. So that we might, when we repent, turn away and turn toward. Turn away and turn toward when we repent and trust in Jesus, believing who He is, asking Him on the basis of what He has done to forgive us and give us new life. He promises to do just that. And we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to testify to these things and to help us to become more like Him. Christianity is not just a religion. It is a religion. It's a set of beliefs. But it's more than a religion. It's a relationship. Some people just focus on the relationship today, forget about the religion. But it's a religion, but it also enables a, a relationship because it is the true religion. And when we read, and this was mentioned in the children's story as well, covenant. What's that mean? It means agreement. It means a relationship that when, by virtue of our faith, Repentance, faith, we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We enter into a covenant with the Lord. We enter into a saving relationship. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then it says, blessed. Blessed is the man or blessed is the woman. Blessed is the, the person who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And I don't know about Norwich, but certainly where I live, there are a lot of people who aren't very happy. Right? You see them going about despondent, going about sorrowful. That's why they're trying to find all of these fleeting thrills rather than life eternal in Jesus Christ. And it's sad. And it says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the, blessed are the. Right? Blessed uh, is the man who takes refuge in him, our verse tells us here today. And I was at the gas station once, and I was whistling. I like to whistle. I was told my grandfather liked to yodel, but I like to whistle. And, and I have a reason to whistle, because I know Jesus, and, and He is my Lord and Savior. He has saved me by His grace, and, and He has filled me by His Spirit. And I have a reason to whistle. I have joy in my heart, and I was whistling Amazing Grace. And somebody heard this, uh, spoke to their parent who comes to our church and said, I think I heard your pastor whistling at the gas station. But we don't hear it. People whistle like we used to. Right, Anna? We don't hear people whistle like in the old days. Because in the old days, more people knew Jesus. In the old days, people had a reason to be joyful. And today, they don't know Jesus. And so they do not have this blessing, this joy in their hearts. And joy is not something that can be fabricated. You can't just say, well, I'm going to be joyful today. Or I'm going to do a little dance or sing a little song. And, and that's going to make me joyful. Joy means grace realized. That grace and thanksgiving and joy in the Bible, they're, they're three words all part of the same family. And that when we, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, receive the grace of God, receive the unmerited favor of God, which is forgiveness and life, forgiveness and eternal life, right? then we praise God, we thank Him because of that grace, and we have that happiness, that abiding joy in our hearts because we have come to know the Lord. That Christ-shaped hole in our hearts has been filled. We are complete 
We have a, a reason to sing. We have a reason to whistle. Not only because we know the Lord, but also because of the benefits of knowing the Lord. Blessed is the man. Happy is the man or the woman who takes refuge in him. As humans, we are sinners. We are naturally separated from God. Romans 6, 23a says, The wages of sin is death. First spiritual and then physical when we die. And the primary need that we have as human beings is to have this gulf bridged so that we might know the Lord again, to have a relationship with Him. And, and God's grace makes that possible. But, but we do nothing. We, we are like in quicksand. I don't know if you've ever experienced quicksand or not. Uh, every once in a while in the province, something will sink or someone will die uh, because of quicksand. I remember growing up, my dad telling me a story about them working, the township working by a bridge, uh, and the excavator got in quicksand and was gone. Never be seen again. And when you're floating or kind of sinking in quicksand, right? the more you work, the more you try to rescue yourself, what happens? You sink more and more. Your problem gets gets even worse, and eventually you will you will die. You will you will drown in the quicksand. What do you have to do, right? Well, the only thing you can do is cry for help, and someone else needs to save you. Someone else needs to rescue you. And along comes Jesus and said, "Would you like to get out of the quicksand?" Right? All we can do is, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Lord, save me. Yes. Please. And he does the work and he rescues us, plants us upon dry ground. And we have joy in not only knowing Jesus now, he's our friend, he's rescued us, but also being saved from that death, from that quicksand, right? We, we know the saving benefits now as well. And we have a man by the name of Augustus top lady, the, the man who wrote Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, and he was wandering through the county that Pastor Sim was born in in England, Somerset, and uh, caught, caught in a storm, and he was in the Cheddar Gorge, where Cheddar Cheese uh, is from, it's named after, and, and, and he, he found refuge in the cleft of a rock, and he weathered the storm there, and when he got out, he said, hey, that, that's kind of a metaphor of what, what the Lord does for us, and he says, in that song, not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite? No. Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. There was nothing he could do to rescue himself. Thou must save and thou alone. Just as Augustus Top Lady took refuge in the cleft of the rock, we need to take refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do, not only do we know God, not only do we have that, that joy by the Holy Spirit, but we have many benefits. We have the benefits of the Holy Spirit, who is our helper, who is our teacher, who is our comforter, who is our guide, who brings us assurance of salvation. We have the blessed help of the Lord, who is our advocate, who is our friend, who is our Lord, whom we follow. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. By the grace of God, I can say that that is true of my life. I grew up as a little boy and, and I always had an awareness of God's existence. Now that's not the same as being saved, but I always knew that God existed. 
I remember once when I was five, I think it was, my, my parents stopped going to church for the summer. I knew that wasn't right, and I pestered them and got them to go back to church. And I was about seven, maybe eight, and went with my father, who's here this morning. It's lovely to have you with us. And went into the dry cleaners in Elmer, Ontario, as he was getting his uniform from the dry cleaners. And there on the counter, uh, and I'm just a wee little lad, there on the counter is a dish of paper clips. It was just paper clips. And I took one. What do we call that when we break the Eighth Commandment? Stealing. It wasn't a Lamborghini, but it was a paper clip and it wasn't mine. And I took it thought it would be fun. And we walked out of the dry cleaners, and we were walking down the sidewalk, I still remember it, and I was like, and it, and it was convicting me, I was holding this thing that I'd stolen, so I threw it in the grass. But I'd already broken God's law. And the Holy Spirit continued to convict me of sin from stealing a paper clip. Actually, he was just showing me that I was a sinner, and that is why I sinned. And that, that worked on me, it was it was the stone in my shoe. Have you ever had a stone in your shoe? I said, get it. You have to stop and get it out, right? It was, it was the stone in my shoe. And our pastor of our little Baptist church, Pastor Fair, he had been one of those men who was converted during World War II. Um, he was an agnostic, and he'd said, if you, if you get me out of this foxhole, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll dedicate my life to seeking you, and once I've found you, I'll serve you. Well, a little bit later, a Christian soldier shared the gospel with him. He came to Christ after the, the war. He entered into the ministry, and he was my pastor growing up. And he said, we're, we're going to have a baptismal preparation class, but you don't have to be a Christian to, to take this. You have to be a Christian to be baptized. But, but anybody who's just interested in exploring what baptism means or exploring what Christianity about is about learning about the gospel, come and, and take these classes. And I remember going into his home and sitting around the table in his dining room with maybe a few others. And, and it was there that I learned more clearly the gospel. And I was a sinner that Christ was a Savior, and that I had a need to repent of my sins and trust in Him to know God and to know all of these saving benefits. And in that period of time, that summer, that fall, when I was nine years old, I tasted and saw that the Lord was good. I became blessed because I put my refuge in Him. And on December 11th, 1994, an evening service, I was baptized. I tasted and I saw. And myself and all the saints alive today and throughout history, including the psalmist here, urges us, commands us, invites us that we might, if we have not, that we might taste and see that the Lord is good. This is God's word for us this morning. Thanks be to God. 